1: If you'll, uh, gentlemen, would come forward.
2: There's this video from 1998 that is crucial to understanding what happened this week at Twitter when the company was upended
1: by a whistleblower. We're joined today by the seven members of the Loft uh, hacker think tank in Cambridge, Massachusetts.
2: It's from the Senate Committee on Government Affairs. The video is a little grainy, but you can see a bunch of young white guys in suits sit down to testify at a table. They look awkward. The late Senator Fred Thompson from Tennessee was the hearing's chair. It's his voice you're hearing. Thompson, of course, was also an actor on Law and & Order, and he lent a certain theatricality to the hearing.
1: Uh, due to the sensitivity of the work done at the loft, they'll be using their hacker names of Mudge, Weld, Brian Oblivion, Kingpin, Space Rogue, Tan, and Stefan.
2: Sitting in the middle of the hackers was a tall man with glasses and long red hair. At the time, he was 27. His name is Peter Zatko, but to a lot of people, he's known as Mudge, and he was there to warn Congress.
1: If you're you're looking for computer security, then the internet is not the place to be. Uh, If you think that you're an exception to the norm and that you have a secure setup that communicates over the internet, uh, you're probably mistaken.
2: What Mudge said to the senators shocked them.
1: Um, I'm informed that you uh, think that within 30 minutes, the seven of you could uh, make the Internet unusable for the entire nation. Is that correct? That's correct, actually. One of us with just a few packets.
0: So that was a, a transformational moment.
2: That's Joseph Menn, who covers cybersecurity and hacking for The Washington Post. He started on the beat in the late 90s and has written several books about it.
0: What was going on behind the scenes is that um, people with a defense and intelligence background were trying to get Congress and the White House to see how scary this stuff was.
2: They reached out to some of the best hackers in the country, Mudge and his colleagues known as The Loft
0: they actually recruited the Loft guys to come down and tell it like it was and like not pull any punches.
2: To a lot of hackers, Mudge was an icon, someone who started out in the underground but went on to champion white hat hacking, making governments and companies more secure by revealing their flaws. His company went inside big banks and companies like Microsoft to find security holes. Later, he worked with the Pentagon's research agency, DARPA. You know, through him,
0: you could actually see the lineage of the of the whole security industry profession as it changed from you know, a bunch of long hairs, which of which he was one, um, you know, in the '90s, uh, to one of the biggest issues in the world. Um, and Mudge has has been there the whole time and has has done well the whole time.
2: Now, 24 years after that Senate testimony, Mudge says he's telling it like it is again. Only this time, he's sounding the alarm about Twitter, to journalists, and soon to Congress. Mudge, Peter Zatko, is the whistleblower who says Twitter is egregiously unsafe, that the company is ignoring massive vulnerabilities and hiding them from the government, investors, and the public. Joseph Men is one of the reporters who broke the story. I am not going to ask you to divulge how you got what you got, but... I wonder when you realized that it was Zatko who was alleging these things as a whistleblower. Did you realize immediately the the seriousness of the allegations?
0: Yeah, anybody can attempt to be a whistleblower and can you know apply for it and, and file a complaint with the SEC. Um, but I have never seen it done by any top security official at a significant company let alone somebody like Mudge Zakko. The content of of the allegations is really important, but who it's coming from and their position at the company, I don't recall anything like it in, in 20 years.
2: Today on the show, the legendary hacker blowing the whistle on Twitter. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval, terms apply. To get to the point where Peter Zatko sought federal whistleblower protections to talk about what he saw at Twitter, you have to go back to Twitter's reputation around security. Joseph was pretty blunt about it.
0: Just terrible. Uh, They got breached over and over and in embarrassing ways. We're talking about teenagers who wound up in control of Elon Musk's, you know, blue check verified account.
2: A 17 year old.
0: Yes. And that happened over and over again. It was so bad 12 years ago, 13 years ago, after President-elect Obama's account was hijacked and some others that the FTC investigated.
2: That's the Federal Trade Commission.
0: And they struck a deal with Twitter um, uh, in 2011, and it was a consent decree. It's enforceable by the courts. And among other things, Twitter promised to have a competent security program and to test it and to improve it as as the situation changed. Uh, They also promised not to mislead people about uh, privacy practices.
2: After several of these high-profile breaches, including one where the accounts of Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Barack Obama, and Jeff Bezos were hacked, Former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey reached out to Peter Zatko to see if he could lend his expertise. Zatko joined Twitter in late 2020 as its head of security. So Zatko comes in at the behest of Jack Dorsey, the former CEO, looks under the hood. What does he find?
0: Well, I think he knew it was going to be bad. Um, Anybody could see it was bad. Um, And I guess the hubris here is that he thought he could fix it. The worst problem is the leadership and the culture. Security is a complicated thing. You can't just put somebody in charge and say, okay, here's your budget, go fix stuff.
2: Joseph says you need buy-in from the CEO, from the chief financial officer, and from the employees who are working with code every single day.
0: The soul of most tech companies is the engineers. They're the ones with the best perks, the best salaries. They're the ones that make it go. And Google and Facebook and Microsoft fight over engineers that's why you have the um you know the canonical free massages and and you know su- oh you can eat sushi and whatever um it's because they want they need to recruit engineers from one another and what engineers actually care more about than sushi and massages is uh what tools they can use how easy it is to do their job how how much flexibility they have and twitter is one of those places where the engineers have a lot of flexibility so they can use whatever tools they want they can have the entire source code on their laptop because that is easier than working in the cloud in a more secured environment or on just a piece of the code at a time. Uh, but that is in opposition to security. Uh, sec- security does not like it when everybody has a copy of the source code uh, and that there are all these different tools and very little monitoring of where they're going within the network. So there's a natural opposition there. And one of the things that really comes through in Zach complaint um, it is that the engineers were carrying the day, and that uh, and that security didn't have real clout?
2: I want to go through the whistleblower complaint. It's eighty-four pages long. There are sections that are redacted, but I've read the 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 redacted version, and I kind of want to take it section by section with you. The first stuff I'd like to talk about is what seems like some pretty basic security flaws. There's a a section that is titled Mudge Discovers Egregious Deficiencies, Negligence, Willful Ignorance, and Threats to National Security and Democracy. That's, um, you know, not a light title for a section. What do you think this section of the report tells us about Twitter's security?
0: Well, the part that, that jumped out at me was was national security. That was the first thing that that I um, that got my antenna up. Um, and so there there are a few different pieces of that. One is that there are people have been and are currently apparently on the payroll uh, spies for other countries.
2: Zatko's complaint alleges that the Indian government had forced Twitter to put at least one of its agents on the company's payroll. Earlier this month, in an unrelated case, a former Twitter employee was convicted of spying for Saudi Arabia. Zatko's complaint suggests that user data could be accessed by spies.
0: This is your pretty much your worst case scenario. Um, there, you know, while privacy might be valuable to you and me, it's life or death for people in many countries, some of whom are using Twitter as their only major means of expression about what's going on in their country. And so in very repressive places, the information that Twitter has on the, those people, which include, can include not just their real phone numbers, uh, usual email addresses, but uh, clues to their physical location, what devices they're using, enough to find them and jail them or worse, that's available. So if there are spies on the payroll that have access to that kind of information uh, or can tell others how to get it, and apparently that is happening with multiple countries,
2: there's a note in in this section that says only about 20% of data sets are registered and managed. Does that mean what I think it means that 80% of the data was just sort of floating around and, and could be accessed by those engineers or or by, you know, various employees?
0: So this, you know, this is in dispute. Some of this is a matter of interpretation. Uh, but the the gist is yes. The gist is there is too much free-floating data without serious access controls to it.
2: I'm also struck that employees had a lot of this on their personal devices.
0: The really bad thing is that all these things line up. So yeah, it is not best practice for thousands of people to have a complete copy of the source code. But what makes it worse is that Zacko says, That 30% of those laptops or laptops of the employee base overall blocked automatic software updates, which is kind of like security 101. Because a lot of hacking in the real world, I mean, frankly, most of it is still phishing and old school stuff. But after that, it's not the spicy zero days, like the previously unknown flaws that the super genius found. It's um, stuff that is very recently found that they can automatically check for across the internet people figure out how to take advantage of it and it, they use it they try it immediately on high value targets and twitter is certainly a high value target so there are arguments about how yes you know uh, you know some patches some fixes can break something else and so as some companies you you hold off on patching for a little bit but um it is hard to it, it is hard to understand how 30 percent could be turning those off Um, and still be safe.
2: I want to talk about some of the legal allegations in this complaint, because probably the most serious one that that he is making here is of essentially fraud. What did he say the company was lying both to regulators, but also to investors and the board about?
0: So it starts with the, the Federal Trade Commission agreement from 2011, and their promise to maintain, test, and improve a data security program. Uh, there is also a representation that they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't um, you know, mislead people about the, their protections. The main thing is that is this, the weaknesses in the security program. Zach was basically saying that um, it was never competent because they didn't have serious access controls. Because so many machines inside the company, including half of the servers were running out of date or unsupported code that could be broken into more easily because there wasn't a um a, uh, a serious testing environment that simulated what it would be like to put out a product release on Twitter so that you know it was tested in production you know they would roll out a, a new a new tweak to the service and then do it in just one country or one part of one country to start and then everywhere but that could be have security risks that you wouldn't catch unless it was in a big testing environment. So those sorts of things combined add up to a bad security program, inadequate security program. Therefore, it goes the argument uh, Twitter has been lying to the Federal Trade Commission. Therefore, uh, it was omitting the, that very material fact from shareholders and the SEC in its regular filings.
2: When we come back, There's an Elon Musk angle, because of course there is. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire,
2: huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. that's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners. Whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: One of the things that is striking in reading Zacco's whistleblower complaint is how he describes Twitter's executives repeatedly misleading the company's board. There is a note in the complaint that after kind of designing and implementing this, this big security plan, that Parag Agrawal, the CEO, explicitly told Mudge to provide documents that they both knew were false. That's a blockbuster allegation.
0: Yes, it is. This is something that rarely spills into public view. Um, you know, there. I think there are. there's a natural tension where executives who don't want the board... You know crawling all over them we'll give them sort of happy brief updates and try not to get into the details and zeko felt that this talk was so happy as to be really misleading so for example um one of the things that stood out to me um was a presentation designed for the board said that hey we now have security monitoring software in 92 percent of our machines but didn't mention the fact that, that software was reporting that a third of the machines were were not compliant um, wow. with, with security needs. That's you can see the argument that that's a material omission,
2: speaking of material emissions, let's talk about bots in the seemingly endless back and forth with Elon Musk, Bots have been a huge issue, or at least painted as one. The company represented in in this uh, process that bots were roughly 5% of its accounts and and has done so in security filings, it seems like Mudge found something very different and some interesting motivations behind it. I wonder if you could unpack that for me.
0: Yeah. So to set the stage, uh, Twitter has stopped saying that bots are less than 5% of the total uh, number of accounts, and they've said it's less than 5% of what they call monetizable daily average users.
2: And that's someone who would click through onto an ad, right? Or click through onto content?
0: So it's 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 a human being somewhere, uh, which means that your ads are actually getting through to them and they might click through or they might take other action. It also includes friendly bots, because not all bots are banned on Twitter. Uh, but anyway, they've been saying that's less than 5%. Um, and Musk has been arguing, and Zatko is now supporting, the contention that that's not really what the average user experiences. And one other thing, the the daily users doesn't say how often those people are tweeting. So it's a measure of uh, it's a measure of accounts, not how often the tweets are. So it there's there can be a real difference between what Twitter is officially attesting to and what the average user experiences. And that's something that Zacco is also saying. He also says the executives weren't even incented to reduce spam i mean i suppose they were in the sense that they want they want more users because more users bring more revenue but not really Uh, the the executive bonuses are tied to revenue growth uh profitability growth and uh the growth in monetizable users and so the complaint says when uh, agrawal tweeted during this dispute with musk uh, of course we're all incentive to do everything we can to reduce spam Zatko says, well, literally, that's not true. They're, hmm. they're only incented to, to, to grow uh, monetizable users.
2: Monetizable daily active users could be really confusing to, to someone who doesn't think about this a lot. But I also feel like it's key to perhaps understanding some of the forces pushing the company in different ways. Because what reading this portion of the complaint says to me is that this was growth, growth, growth. That's what we want. Maybe everything else be damned.
0: You have to remember it's sort of like the background here is that Twitter doesn't make money. Twitter loses money. Um, And so they need to change that. And so it's not just growth, but 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 growth in in revenue and and profit or otherwise they can't fund nice things like competent security is is the argument. So, like, it's it's a much bigger tension than it is at other companies that are rolling in the dough. Uh, Facebook and Google come to mind um, so it's I think there's much more scrabbling over the the few dollars there are uh, in in Twitter security. so they know it's important uh, they know they should do something about it. they try they hire some good people because people want to work there. Um, but when push comes to shove, the the complaint clearly says you know the the emphasis is on on growth and money, not on protecting the user the users that they already have and what sort of experience they have.
2: This part of the complaint about bots has gotten a lot of attention because it could help Elon Musk as he tries to walk away from buying Twitter. If Twitter was lying to Musk and to the SEC about how many bots are on the site, that might mean Musk would have to pay less to get out of the deal. Musk's lawyers have already brought up the whistleblower complaint in court. But when you zoom out beyond Elon Musk and take all of these allegations together— they paint a portrait of corporate chaos, of a CEO, Parag Agrawal, who is perhaps deceiving the company's board and investors, and of his predecessor, Jack Dorsey, as checked out from Twitter's challenges.
0: Nobody can seriously argue that it's not completely chaotic and a mess. Um, there were still levels of surprise in this. The, the fact that that Dorsey, uh, Jack Dorsey, was brought in as uh, a you know, one of the co-founders brought back in as CEO. Um, you know, he's an odd guy. There, you know, that that was kind of known. And he was also busy running this extremely valuable company uh, called Square at the same time. What was not known until now is that he would skip a lot of meetings with his direct reports and that he rarely spoke to people he was directly in charge of. The, hmm. the, 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 the complaint says that um, Dorsey spoke perhaps 50 words to Zatko in a 12-month period um, when he was the, his direct boss before he got replaced. Um, that's shocking. <laughs> um, uh, there's there's also clearly, like, there's overlapping responsibilities. One of the other documents that has come out that is uh, an exhibit to the whistleblower complaint is a, a report uh, on how Twitter fights misinformation. And fails to effectively fight misinformation in many cases. And it said that there are all these overlapping responsibilities um that there's a site integrity team, but there's also a health and safety team, and there's some other team, uh, and Zachka's people too. They all have some sort of claim over the issue of bots and misinformation and spam. um and sometimes they cooperate, and sometimes there's a turf war. Uh, and it's just um it's just a real mess. And what's unique here, is that it's a mess with, with global significance. Um, in, in many countries, Twitter is used by authoritarian leaders or by intelligence agencies. in some other country to influence current affairs, and we know it works. And now we're seeing, we have a little bit better idea of why it works so well. It's the, the defenders are just really outgunned, and they sometimes can't get out of their own way.
2: Do you believe what you read in the complaint?
0: I'm a seasoned investigative reporter and I don't believe anything I read anywhere. Um, But there's a lot there. Uh, And it's coming from somebody who has immense credibility in the field. Um, You know, there's a, there's of course, a raging debate on InfoSec Twitter about this. Um, But the people that have been around for a while um, in senior positions are pretty much uh you know they're they're betting they're betting that Zatko is in essence correct um that this is uh really egregious security but it is a super super risky move to do this in public so um he's i'd say he's got most of the infosec community it's the the management types are saying well you know it's a it's a team sport it's a team job Mm. um you know if you're in charge of security, you have to figure out a work a way to work well with the CEO and the board and the people underneath you. And he failed to do that. And, you know, we could all go public with our complaints about how terrible security is in our own company. But um, uh, that's not that's not what the job is. That's that's the counter argument.
2: mean, Twitter has come out and said he was opportunistically seeking to inflict harm on you know the company, its, its customers, its shareholders. Um, what do you think of what they had to say?
0: Well, some of the stuff that's come out is pretty scattershot. There's a lot of insinuation out there that um, he's been in league with Musk and the evidence does not support that.
2: He And his lawyer has denied that.
0: That's right. He's, uh, the lawyer said that there's been um, no communication. Um, there may have been a subpoena, but it didn't go to the right address. Um, so... Um, They were not in league. And the big write up that Zacco did after he'd already been fired was in February before Musk made his move on Twitter. Um, So uh, so that's out. And, you know, some people are dredging up, you know, uh, Mudge's uh, hacker past, you know, which was, you know, he was a hacker in the 1990s. You know, was was he, you know, uh, was he a clean school kid that never got into trouble? No. Um, none of these people were it's a weird profession um and so sliming somebody by saying that they broke the laws in their youth is not a is not a very impressive defense
2: why do you think he did this as someone who you wrote two chapters about him in your book
0: so the way zatko tells it is that this is an extension of what he's been doing his whole life uh, which is calling stuff out in order to To get stuff fixed by any means necessary and very often that means going public that's what he did in the beginning is he made these public assertions about software where the the maker of the software had no incentive to warn people about it so he said okay well i will do it for you i will tell people that the software is insecure and that will make you fix it and that worked um he's also done other things he you know at darpa most of what he did is still classified um so you know when it's important to not spill secrets he will not spill secrets But he says Dorsey brought him on to make Twitter users safer, and he's going to do it one way or the other. He can't do it inside the company anymore. He can't even try because he was forced out. So in Zacho's view, the way to make it happen, the only way to make it happen is to file a legally protected whistleblower complaint that goes to regulators and members of Congress who can subpoena him who can subpoena other executives, who can demand records and figure out whether it's true or not, and then force changes on Twitter, if, particularly if there have been legal violations. He's finishing what he was hired to do, which is fix Twitter.
2: If you're a Twitter user, what do you think you should take away from all of this?
0: I think a fair reading of what we know so far, uh, which may be disproven at any point, is that users should have less faith that that the information that Twitter knows about them will be protected from others. We should also bear in mind that a lot of this is, has location and other sensitive data. Um, so if you are a privacy conscious person, uh, you should you should be using two factor authentication when you join Twitter. So you should use a, an app like Google Authenticator or something else like that that um, uh, that doesn't need your phone number uh, for you to confirm that, yes, that really is you on Twitter. You also, if you're, you also might use a throwaway email address to sign up for Twitter or change that to your contact and then just have that throwaway you know, email address, you know, John Smith, whatever, at, at Gmail. So just be aware that whatever gets tied to your Twitter account, it looks to me is less secure than you thought it was a week ago.
2: In trying to assess how existential this is for Twitter, one of the things that I keep coming back to is how many times over the past decade, more, the company has been warned about security again and again, both by regulators, but, but also by, you know, people who work there, and yet they just seem to not be fixing things. Why?
0: One of the problems with security is that it's very hard to measure its effectiveness. So it's seen as a cost center by executives. You know, your chief, your head security might say, hey, we need this, we need that. But then he can't come back and say that, hey, this prevented five breaches because you have no idea what it what it actually prevented and how much money it saved you. So that is why regulators have been paying more attention to this. Uh, the SEC has put in place more more rules about uh, cyber expertise and what you have to do and what you have to disclose. The Federal Trade Commission, starting because of issues at places like Twitter and Facebook and Google, has gotten more serious about uh, enforcing privacy rules and what's rules and what's disclosed about what they do to protect privacy. Um, so, I mean, the, directionally, it's it's going in the right way. But it takes a while before any of that is going to have the Wall Street impact of your, you know, of your the same as your quarter, uh, quarterly earnings and your and your projections for 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 profit growth, or in Twitter's case, when they're going to turn one. So that's why it hasn't got the attention. And um, you know, if it hasn't by now, I mean, I think this might, I think this might do it.
2: I kind of wanted to go back to where we started, which is with who we're talking about here. You know, when Frances Haugen filed a blower complaint at Facebook, one of the things the company was able to do was say, well, she was not someone who was central to working on this. She took documents because they were in an internal system, et cetera, et cetera. This, I don't know, this feels different because of who we're talking about.
0: Right. So this is kind of the opposite of that. Um, Zatko is bringing less documents uh, to the table, though he is sort of providing a roadmap for what investigators, government investigators might uh, seek to get out of Twitter. But his expertise um, and his experience and his knowledge of the way things work and his track record as somebody who um, is willing to say the emperor has no clothes, um, it is pretty hard to, to find anywhere else in, in information security. is one of the, the paragons of it.
2: Joseph Mann, thank you so much for your reporting and for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Not long after Joseph and I finished talking, the Senate Judiciary Committee announced that Peter Zatko will testify about his experiences at Twitter in September. Joseph Menn covers cybersecurity for the Washington Post. And if you wanna learn more about Mudge and the other hackers of the 90s, check out his book, Cult of the Dead Cow. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Tori Bosch. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate Arizona State University and New America. And if you are a fan of this show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we will be back on Sunday with another episode. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thank you for listening.